Good morning. Glad to have you with us this morning. We've got some more folks who are going to be coming in over the next few minutes. And we're glad that you chose to come to Flagstone this morning and worship with us. Those of you joining us online, thank you for getting up and, and clicking on and joining us for worship as well. We're glad to see you this morning. Excited to be worshiping together with everybody today. I need to take care of a couple of housekeeping items uh, for the folks uh, here in the room with us. If you haven't been with us um, on a Sunday morning before, uh, since we started our, our COVID-19 protocols, or if it's been a while since you've been with us, I want everybody to be reminded we need to keep our masks on the whole time we're here, even while we're singing. Uh, we appreciate your help with that. Um, we will be taking communion together today, and when that time comes, we'll have some thoughts and a prayer for uh, communion, and then uh, you should have a communion cup that looks like this um, that's sitting in the chair where you're sitting. And uh, if you'll peel off the first lid, that's where you get the wafer, and then peel off the second lid and drink the juice, and that's how we'll take communion together today. And then also, um, for those of you with younger ones, we do have some activity bags uh, on a table in our lobby, just straight directly across from where I'm at right now. If you go out into our lobby, you can see those. Uh, and if there's not any there on the table, we have extras, and so we can get some more for you um, if, if we run out of those. Uh, but also, for those of you with real little ones, um, we do have a nursery available just on the other side of our, of our lobby, and you're welcome to take advantage of that. You need to stay with your child. It's not, um, we don't have any volunteers in there right now, but there is a monitor in there where you can keep uh, seeing what's going on in here with us while you're there with your child. So I wanted you to be aware of that too. I think that's all the housekeeping things to take, take care of this morning. Uh, again, I'm, just, I'm so excited to see you here. I'm, I'm excited to be worshiping with you today. We had a great morning of worship at 9 o'clock with the folks that were here, and I'm excited to be worshiping with you, spending time on the Word, taking communion, uh, and just connecting with each other. So we're going to jump right into our worship and ask God to bless our time of, of praise together and our time in His Word, and, uh, and then um, we'll pray about that, and then we'll start worshiping Him together. So let's, let's pray. Let's start out praying. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to come and worship you. Thank you for bringing us through this week. And God, some of us have come through this week just in, in flying colors. Things have gone great, and you have blessed us in so many ways, and we've seen those blessings, we've experienced them, and we just thank you for them. And God, some of us were struggling barely feel like we barely survived this week and we came limping through the door this morning and God we know we trust that you brought all of us here for a reason today and for those who are struggling with physical needs with spiritual needs with relationship needs we pray that that you would make it obvious today how you can heal those things how you can make those things better and uh, give us as a church family open eyes to see how we can help as well God, just bless our time and your word today. Uh, open, our, open our ears, open our hearts to what you want to say to us. Uh, God, open our voices and our hearts as we sing praises to you and as we, as we come before your throne and, and just lift you up. God, may everything that we do today remind us of what an amazing God you are and, and how amazing your love for us is. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's get Good on our feet. Good morning, Flagstone. Good morning, Flagstone. Yeah. All right, everybody <clears throat> on your feet. We've gathered in this day. We've gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens. We want to see you open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart and filling every part of our praise. 
this place, your glory on our face, we're looking to the sky, descending like a cloud, you're standing with us now, Lord, unveil our eyes, you're the reason we're here, you're the reason we're singing, open up the heavens, we want to see you open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart and filling every part of our praise. Open up the heavens, we want to see you open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart and filling every part of our praise. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Open up the heavens. We want to see you. A mighty river flowing from your heart and filling every part of our praise. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart and filling every part of our praise. Open up the heavens. This is the season for a new anointing. This is the season for a fresh outpouring. That the sons and daughters of the King of glory may arise and shine. That the sons and daughters of the King of glory may arise and shine as we declare. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. In the beginning God created, and for his pleasure all creation sings. Every son and daughter of the King of glory may rise and shine. Every son and daughter of the King of glory may rise and shine as we declare. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let your glory fill the earth. 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 
because we declare this is a day, this is a day, this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in Him. This is a day, this is a day, this is a day that the Lord has made. Sorry. King of glory. chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 says you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us the phrase that just the right time implies that the cross the cross was planned by God all along 
from the time that the, that the forbidden fruit was eaten, eaten in the garden, the cross became necessary. The cross became a reality, even thousand years in the future, thousands of years in the future. At just the right time implies that it was planned. It means that the political mechanism that needed to be in place had to be put in place for the cross to happen. The religious leaders and the religious system was to be in place for the cross to happen. It wasn't just preparation for, for Jesus coming to earth, but it was there needed to be preparation after Jesus arrived. How did Jesus prepare for the intensity of, of the cross? How did he prepare for the beatings? How did he prepare for the trial? How did he prepare for the, for the garden, for the abandonment that took place? Why didn't he just walk away? I don't know that I have clear answers for any of that. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for his ability to set, keep his focus. In Luke 9 and verse 51, it says Jesus set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And that's not just something that took place there in Luke 9, but that's something that took place thousands of years before. But it manifested itself there in Luke 9. He kept his focus. He maintained his focus. And I think the other thing that, that he did as he, as he prepared for the intensity that was to come was he practiced beforehand. He practiced, and this is such a, a maybe an unusual concept, he practiced what didn't, may, may not have come naturally to him but was surrender. Surrender to God daily. Sacrifice on the way to his sacrifice. This morning as we, as we take of these emblems that are in our chair that are next to us, we are reminded of a Savior that was committed. He set his face. We are reminded of a God that that is when, when there was sin in the garden began to point to a cross. But we're also reminded of, a, reminded of a Savior that endured that and he prepared for that. And we're also prompted. We're prompted to surrender as well. This morning as we partake, let's, let's be reminded of those things. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your vision, your plan. Your plan and in the face of, of our inability to deserve that plan. 
And Father, thank you for these emblems that remind us of, of Jesus. That his desire for reconciliation with us is greater than the temptation to walk away. Father, thank you for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's everyone stand for the song before the sermon. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. And it's higher than the mountains that I face. And it's stronger than the power of the grave. And it's constant in the trial and the change. This one thing remains. This one thing remains. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love, your love, and on and on and on and on it goes. Yes, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul, and I never ever have to be afraid. This one thing remains. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love, your love. In death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. My debt is paid, there's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. This one thing remains, this one thing remains. You may be seated.
If you missed it last week, we started talking about learning how to fight. And I know, again, like some of us already knew how to fight. We had already uh, had experience with fighting before, and some of us, that's not something that's really on our radar to fight. But we talked about how we need to accept the challenge from God to be fighters, that we are, we are called by God to fight and to not surrender, uh, to not just sit on the sidelines and do nothing, to not, to not retreat and run away, but we are called uh, to fight, to not give up, but to fight. And recognizing uh, all the good things that we get from being children of God. We get forgiveness. We get grace. We get hope. We get acceptance. Uh, we get blessings that, that we can't even count. We get life. We live a, a life of light instead of darkness. I mean, there's so many things that come to us because uh, we are children of God. But one of the challenges that comes to us that we, we have to accept is whether or not we're going to fight because we also have an enemy. We talked last week about the enemy that we have, a ruthless enemy, a dangerous enemy who wants to hurt us, who wants to hurt our families, who wants to hurt this church, who wants to hurt our communities. And he's active at that. He doesn't just sit around and do nothing. He's actively attacking our communities and our homes and even us and recognizing there's, there's a battle, that the battle's already, for, for most of us, it's already here. The fight is already here. and We've got to learn how to become fighters. Now, we want to be talking today and over the next couple of weeks about how to be better fighters, how to, how, you know, what kind of tactics, what kind of weapons do we use? How do we, how do we get better at this? And if you, I, I don't have any personal uh, military experience. I've got friends who have been in the military. I know some of the training that they went through. I know some of the, the things that go into planning like different operations and different, uh, you know, military uh, exercises and stuff. There's, there's all sorts of tactics and strategies to that. Um, if you have ever done or know anybody that's done any kind of boxing or like, you know, the mixed martial arts and stuff like that, there's, there's methods to the training. There's methods to the actual fight and to the strategy that takes place. But even, I mean, forget about like the physical fighting. I mean, even even, I don't know, attorneys, uh, people in politics, there's, there's strategy to winning the argument that you're, that you're having right now or, or trying to get your point across, whatever that is, and, and there's methods and strategies to accomplish that. Um, there's a guy that maybe some of you heard of that lived actually 500 years-ish uh, before Jesus. He lived in China, and his name was Sun Tzu. And I don't know if you've heard of this guy before, but he was a general, he was a military strategist, and uh, he compiled a whole bunch of different writings on how to conduct battle or what typically happens in battle and what to do with soldiers and training and all those kinds of things. And they compiled all those things uh, into a book that's called The Art of War. I don't know if you've read this. I don't know if you've seen it before. It's The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And it's become even more popular outside of military strategy kind of things uh, over the last several decades. There's, there's lots of businesses. There's lots of... of um, you know, managers and salesmen and CEOs that read this book and, and try to get some of the principles across uh, to some of their employees. One of the things that Sun Tzu said thousands of years ago that's interesting to me that I want us to focus on this morning is this. Every battle is won before it is ever fought. I want to read that again. Every battle is won before it is ever fought. Sun Tzu said that obviously fighting the battle itself is important. You got soldiers, you got weapons, you got, you know, whatever your commands are, those got to be carried out on the battlefield. There's a battle taking place, and, and it's important what happens on the battlefield. 
But in his mind, just as important, maybe even more important, is what takes place before the battle itself. All the preparation, all the strategy, all the training, all the things that happen. And he says, you know, the, the battle has already been decided, really, before you ever actually fight the battle in the first place. And that's the concept that I want us to think about this morning and focus on this morning. That when we talk about having this battle, that when we talk about fighting this enemy that we have, that we need to recognize and learn how to fight the battle before it ever happens. That we need to recognize how to do that. That we need to recognize that as we're fighting, that battle, to a great extent, has already been fought. And I just need to fight it before it actually gets here. I need to learn to fight the battle before it happens. And to just think about the battles that, that many of us uh, are currently dealing with or have dealt with or will deal with in the very near future. Think about how our enemy attacks us. I mean, I mean Satan attacks our, our marriages through physical affairs, you know, sexual affairs. He attacks our marriages through emotional affairs and through uh, pornography. He attacks our marriages through communication or, or lack of it. We don't know how to talk with each other. We don't know how to discuss things and, and connect with each other. He attacks our, our marriages through just, just time apart and distance and separation and not really spending any time together. He attacks our families through our, our finances and getting ourselves into debt. There's abuse that takes place, and he damages our families through physical and emotional abuse. There's disconnection and, and just not spending time uh, with each other, and Satan attacks our families with that. He uses that as weapons. He attacks our friendships with gossip and with saying the wrong thing and hurting people's feelings, holding on to resentment. He attacks our, our relationships with, with anger and frustration and, and, and guilt. He attacks... He attacks us with, with addictions, with habits that we can't seem to walk away from. And it, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be prescription drugs, it could be pornography, it could be food. There's all sorts of habits and addictions that we allow ourselves to be conquered by. There are weapons that our enemy uses. He attacks us, he attacks us as individuals with guilt and with uh, fear and stress and worry and, I've already mentioned, anger, loneliness, as we've, we've talked about with this church family before. Just even our, our own self-esteem, our, our own image of who we are, Satan uses that against us and battles against us with those things. He attacks our faith with, you know, doubt and, and things not going the way that we want them to. And Satan uses that and attacks our, our faith and causes us to question who God is and what God is, is actually doing. He, he attacks us through just even our comfort zone and our complacency and quite honestly our laziness. Satan uses that as a weapon to keep us from doing the things that God is calling us to do. There's all these different ways that Satan attacks us on a regular basis. There's all these different battlefronts that we're experiencing. And I, I want us to be thinking about that. I would love for you right now just to be thinking about it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe if you got a pen with you, just you know, kind of write down. I mean, if you're worried about somebody sitting next to you seeing it, then just kind of write a letter or make a mark or something. What is the battle right now that you're fighting? Where is the attack coming from? We talked about that last week. Knowing where the attack is coming from, where are you being attacked from right now? I would love for those of you watching online, if you're willing to, put that in the comments right now. I'm being attacked from here. I'm being attacked by resentment. I'm being attacked by anger. I'm being attacked by an addiction. Whatever it is, recognizing where the battle is coming from is, is vitally important. And knowing what to do about that. We want to get better at being better fighters, at fighting against these attacks that Satan brings against us. But one of the key things that I can do 
in fighting this battle, wherever it's coming from, is to fight the battle before it ever happens. To battle, to fight, to win that battle before it ever actually presents itself in my life. And that might sound odd, and that might sound like I, I, that, that doesn't even make sense. How can I fight something that hasn't happened yet? And I want to show you how to do that. Actually, I want to show you how someone in the Bible did that and what we can learn from that. So I want to show you a story that many of you are probably familiar with. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 1 Samuel. If you want to open your Bibles there or scroll in your Bible apps to the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to go to chapter 17. And we're going to look at the story of uh, David and Goliath. Now, that may be a really familiar story to many of you. Some of you have probably, you know, may have heard of that, but you don't know all the details. And I'm not going to read it verse by verse this morning. I'm just going to give you some of the highlights. You got two different nations. You got the Israelites and the Philistines, and they're always battling against each other. In this one particular instance, they got their armies kind of formed on both sides of this valley. There's a valley in between them. And there's a guy that steps forward, and his name is Goliath. And Goliath steps forward into the valley, and, and uh, he challenges the Israelites. He says, okay, I'm, I'm the champion. I'm the best fighter of these guys over here. You send your guy, whoever your best fighter is, uh, to come fight me. We'll duke it out. And whoever wins, um, then, or whoever loses, then their team has to be the slaves and the servants of the team that wins. Does that make sense? And so he comes out there and challenges this. Now, you would think, well, somebody would come out there and fight him. But there's one key thing to understand about Goliath. Goliath is nine feet tall, and he's huge. He's massive. I mean, you read how much his armor weighs. His armor weighs like three times that of regular soldiers in the army. He's this giant guy, and not only is he, is he himself physically big, not only is his armor bigger than anything the Israelites have ever seen before, but he is a seasoned uh, soldier. He's been fighting since he was a kid. Matter of fact, my guess would be if he's this big now at nine feet as an adult, he was probably bigger than everybody else in his class when he was growing up, and just kind of, you know, they just kind of roped him into the army. There's a big dude, we're going to put a sword in your hand, and he learned how to be a soldier from a very young age. So he knows how to fight. It's not just his size, he knows how to fight. And he comes and he stands out here and he challenges, issues this challenge every single day. And the Israelites cower in fear. Nobody's going out there to fight Goliath. Saul's not going, Jonathan's not going, nobody that we've talked about before, uh, in, you know, on Sunday mornings, none of those guys are going out there. There's not a single soldier that wants to go out there and fight that guy. And he comes out every day for 40 days, making the same challenge, and nobody will take him up on it. Well, then this guy David shows up. David's probably a teenager at this time, uh, not old enough to be uh, in the army yet, but he's got brothers in the army. He goes to visit them. His dad sends him to visit, and he goes to visit, and he gets there about the same time the Goliath is coming out this one day to issue this challenge, and he hears it. And David's question is, all right, well, who's going to go fight him? And all the soldiers are like, not me. Uh, you know, it, you're welcome to. And David's like, okay. And David starts telling people, I'll go fight him. And, and word gets back to King Saul that David says he'll go fight this guy. And so, uh, he, you know, Saul brings him in front of him and says, man, you're just a kid. He's, he's a grizzled veteran, and he's huge. There's no way you can win this. And David's like, I got this. Seriously, I'll go fight him. Don't worry about it. And Saul tries. He says, okay, well, then let's put some armor on you. And, and Saul tries to put his own armor on David. And David tries to walk around. It doesn't work. He doesn't like it. So he takes it off. And he goes down uh, to a creek bed. And he gets five rocks and a slingshot. And this isn't the kind of slingshot where you hold it and pull like we do now. This is a big leather strap. And you put a rock in the middle of it. And, and hold the two ends of the strap. Swing it around your head for a while. And then let go of one end. And the rock would go flying out. 
If you've ever seen anybody try this for the first time, they usually hit themselves with a rock just to let you know. He's very skilled with the sling. He's like, I got this. And he goes out and, saw, and, and Goliath is kind of wondering why this kid is coming out to fight him. But David's like, you know, I, I, I'm not even worried. I'm going to come attack you. And, and he does. He goes running straight at him with a sling going over his head. And he lets the rock fly. And the rock goes flying across and hits Goliath right in his forehead. And it sinks into his head. And he falls down on the ground dead. And then David, just to be sure, goes over and heaves Goliath's sword up and cuts Goliath's head off with it. And I would imagine there's that, that moment of silence for a second there on both sides of the valley. Both the Israelites and the Philistines going, what just happened? And then the Israelites start celebrating. The Philistines start quaking with fear and they take off running. The Israelites pursue after them. And God wins this huge victory for his people because of what David chose to do, because of the actions that David took. And it's this amazing story. And again, you may be fairly familiar with it. But what I want to do this morning is to look at at, at how David fought this battle. And what I want us to understand, this amazing victory, this amazing fight, this amazing story, that battle took place before the battle ever took place. That before, before the Philistines took off running, before the Israelites were chasing after him, before David cut off Goliath's head, before that rock went into Goliath's head, before David ever went running at him with a sling in the first place, David had already fought this battle. He had already fought this fight. He already knew that he was going to win. And that's the, kind of, he, that's the mentality that he had. That's the attitude that he had as he ran into this battle. And that's the kind of attitude and the kind of focus that we need to have as well. So let me show you what it looks like to fight the battle before the battle happens. There's some things that I have to do in order to fight this battle before the battle ever gets here. And the first thing I got to do is I got to train. I got to train myself. I need to do some, some training for this fight. I need to prepare ahead of time for how I'm going to deal with the attacks that, that are going to come against me. David had actually trained for this battle with Goliath before he ever fought Goliath. If you go back and look in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, as he's talking with um, Saul, he, he basically says, I've already prepared for this. I'm already ready. Beginning in verse 34, he says, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, we talked last week about viewing Satan as a lion, right? And we said, whenever there's a lion around, what should we do? We should run away. We should avoid the lion, right? That's not what David did. David's out here by himself with a bunch of sheep. Again, probably armed with nothing more than, you know, a, a stick and a sling and maybe a knife, who knows. And this wild animal, a bear, a lion, would come and, and attack the sheep and would grab one. Now, I don't know how many nature documentaries you have watched. I don't know how many outdoor pamphlets you have read through. But when a bear comes and attacks, you're not supposed to attack it back, especially with your bare hands. Bad things happen when we do that. That's not David's attitude. David is so mad that the sheep is in the mouth of the animal, that he goes and gets the sheep out of the mouth of the animal. My attitude would be, enjoy your lunch, Mr. Bear. Have at it, Mr. Lion. He goes and attacks and gets the animal, who, who knows if it's even still alive, gets the animal out of the mouth. And then that's going to make this lion or bear mad at him. So what's the lion or the bear going to do? They're going to turn around and attack David. What does he do? 
He doesn't play dead. That's right. He doesn't play dead. He doesn't, you know, try to run away. He grabs a hold of the fur. He grabs a hold of the mane and he kills it. This is everything that you're taught not to do. You know what I'm saying? And David tells Saul, that's just a giant. I've, I've killed bears and lions with my bare hands. I, I got this. I've trained for this. I've already fought this battle. I've prepared for it ahead of time. Folks, that's what we need to do. We need to train. We need to prepare ahead of time for whatever the battle is that's going to be coming against us. Whatever the fight is that we're going to have to fight, we need to fight ahead of time by training. First of all, training my body. I mean, look at some of the training regiments of, that fighters go through, that, that, that men and women serving in the military have to endure. All the different things that they do, you know, to, to prepare their bodies for conflict and for battle. And why? Because they want to be able to fight and they want to be able to handle whatever the thing is that's going to be coming against them. And I need to train my body for the fights and the battles that I want to have to fight as well. I'm not talking about sit-ups and push-ups and CrossFit and Peloton. Those things are all great. But that's not the kind of battles that we're talking about. That's not the kind of, of body training that I'm talking about. Look at how, Saul, uh, how the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 27, he says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That's kind of strong terminology. I beat my body. I make it my slave. Paul is saying, I exercise self-control, and I exercise self-control and self-discipline before I ever need it. I'm already in the habit of doing what I should be doing and saying the things I should be saying and keeping myself from saying the things I shouldn't say and doing the things I shouldn't do before the situation ever arises. Does that make sense? I train for it ahead of time. I'm going to train my body. I'm going to train my mouth to, to say positive things, encouraging things, and helpful things, and not tear people down, not gossip, and not be ugly. I'm going to train myself to go to places where I'm going to be uh, encouraged to do the right things, stay away from places where I'm going to be uh, influenced to do the wrong things. I'm going to train my eyes. I'm going to pay attention to what it is I'm focusing on and the images that are on my screen and the things that I, that I scroll through in my social media. I'm going to train my body before the problem ever gets here, I'm going to make sure that I know what choices I'm going to make when I have to make a decision. I need to train my mind. I mean, my body, honestly, is going to follow whatever my mind tells it to do. So I've got to train my mind. And oftentimes, that's, that's the bigger battle that I've got to fight. What is it that I think about? What do I fill my brain with? What goes in here all the time? What kind of... What kind of I don't know, music and movies and TV and Netflix. What, what am I filling my mind with? What do I constantly focus on when I'm going through my social media? What am I thinking about that whole time? What, do I, what are my conversations with my friends and family members? What are those things like? What do I allow my mind to be filled with? Because if I'm not filling my mind with godly things and positive things and loving things and compassionate things, I'm not going to do those things. If I'm constantly filling my mind with hateful things and angry things and resentful things and lustful things, guess what I'm going to start doing? Hateful, angry, resentful, lustful things. I've got to train my mind. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we take, every, we take captive every thought 
to make it obedient to Christ. I don't allow myself to dwell on things that are not of Christ. I can't control every thought that pops into my head, but I can control what I do with it. And I can train myself before I ever have to make decisions about what it is that God would want me to do. I've already thought about that ahead of time. I've already trained my mind how to react to that situation. And, and along with that, but going even deeper, and he had trained my heart. My heart is at the center of what means the most to me, is what I, what I care about the most, what I'm most passionate about. And if I'm not training my heart to follow after God's heart, if the things that are important to him are not important to me, then I'm going to lose the battles that, that Satan is going to launch against me. I need to allow God to be in control of my heart. I need to allow him to be, the, as we sing many times, the king of my heart, because otherwise my devotion is going to go somewhere else. I need to train my heart to, to, to be like God's, to be, to be as, as Reagan mentioned a minute ago, to surrender my heart to God. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs chapter four, above all else, above all the things that you could do, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. What are the things that I'm most, most passionate about? I mean, what are the, the two greatest commands Jesus said? Love God, love other people. And he said to love people and, and love God with all of your heart. We can say that together really loud. Love God and love other people with all of your heart. Soul, mind, and strength. But my heart, what, am I, what, is, what is it that's important to God that needs to be important to me? What is it that God's passionate about that needs, I need to be passionate about that as well? And if I will train my heart to be like God's and to love him and to love other people the way that he loves, that's going to help me win these fights that I'm going to have to face that Satan attacks me with. Does that make sense? Train myself. i got to train for that battle ahead of time. I also need to armor up. I need to get my armor on. I need to get my armor on and ready before I go into battle. Now again, you know, Saul tried to give David his armor. He tried to give him his helmet and his shield and his sword, and it just didn't work. And look at what David, look at what David did again in, in verse 40 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. He took his staff in his hand, he chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I mean, most people would go, you know, even Goliath, as big and as experienced he was, he's got a spear and a shield and a sword and a helmet. David didn't have any of those things. David didn't have your typical weapons, your typical armor for battle. David ran to battle with a big stick and some rocks and a slingshot. That was his armor. It wasn't typical armor. It wasn't what you would normally use in a battle like this. But we're not fighting a typical battle, are we? Our enemy is attacking us with I guess you could call it unconventional weapons. Our enemy attacks us with, with fear and with hatred and with guilt and with complacency and with doubt and with lust and with hate, with selfishness, with pride, with time, with finances, all these different weapons that he uses. What am I going to use to defend myself? What am I going to use to attack back? I can't use typical weapons. So the Apostle Paul says, you put on your armor. 
Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And he goes on from there and he describes, I mean, he uses the analogy of different armor. He talks about helmets and swords and, and you know, breastplates and things like that. But, but what those things are made of, what that armor consists of. He talks about, about arming myself with faith, with believing that the story is true, believing God is who he says he is, believing that he really is gonna fight battles for me, believing that he can take care of whatever problems and whatever it is that Satan's attacking me with. He says, I need, to, I need to arm myself with time and the word. Spend time in here and allow God to speak to me. Watch what he's done in the lives of other people. Allow his spirit to speak to my heart so that I'm ready to do battle. He, he says, put on armor that's... that's that's about truth, about speaking truth and relying on truth and having integrity and being people of truth. Having, you know, righteousness. I mean, that big churchy word just means do the right thing. Arm yourself with making good choices. Arm yourself with surrounding yourselves with other people who are making right choices. Arm yourself with prayer. Talk to God. Spend time with him. Say, here's the battle that, that, that I'm facing. I mean, we have the creator of the universe in our corner. Who gives us the right? Who even says, I would love for you to come talk to me. You don't have to go through any kind of special permission ahead of time. There's no hoops to jump through. Just come talk. And we have that as part of our weaponry. To go to the king of the universe and say, God, I need you to intervene. And he does. We need to get our armor on. We need to armor up before we, before we enter the battle. Before these situations come, before these, these problems come in our lives, we need to already be spending time in the word, in prayer, trying to make right decisions, surrounding ourselves with other people who are going to help us make the right decisions. Before the problem ever arises, fight the fight before it happens. Get your armor on ahead of time. And thirdly, we need to spend time with veterans. We need to spend time with veterans, with people who have gone through the battle that we're about to go through. Find out from them what was helpful, what worked, what didn't work. What did you learn from your mistakes? I mean, if you go back to the story of, of David and Goliath again, you get there in chapter 17 and verse 26, when, when he arrives and he hears this challenge being offered by Goliath, David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And he skipped down to verse 30 and he says he turned away to someone else and brought out the same uh, matter and the men answered him as before. David is, is walking around with these guys. These are, these are not rookies. These are seasoned soldiers. These are battle-tested veterans, and David's going, man, what are we going to do about this? How do you think we should approach this? What's the strategy? What's the methods we should use? Now, you could, you could say, well, they're not really being helpful right now because they're cowering in fear, not actually doing anything. Okay, granted, but look at what David is doing. David's going around with different guys who, are, who for the last 40 days have been issued this challenge. How are you handling it? What have you learned so far? What do we need to do? How do we defeat this? And that's the same kind of action, the same kind of attitude that I need to have as well. I need to go to people who, are, who have gone through some of, the things, some of the things that I've gone through or are about to go through and ask them how they handled it. And maybe it wasn't great. I can learn from their mistakes. I mean, years ago, Bobby Ricker was here for a 9 o'clock service. He and I, years ago, were teaching a, a, a parenting class over at the Southside Church in Rogers. And after class one night, this one guy walks up to me, and he says, hey, just, just so you know, just another resource for you. Uh, if there's anybody in this class that just wants 
another set of parents to sit with and, and just visit and just kind of get some advice from, uh, they're welcome to visit with me and my wife. And he says, we, I mean, I don't know that we could tell them what to do in raising their kids, but we know for sure what not to do. He's like, we have learned what doesn't work, and we've been glad to share that. I was like, you know what? I appreciate that. I mean, sometimes that's just as helpful, isn't it? To learn from people's mistakes as much as their triumphs. And that's what I need to do. I need to spend time with people who have, like, spend time with people who are still in, who are still married to each other and seem to still like each other. How are you doing it? What's the method? What's the strategy? What do I need to be doing different? Look at people who have maybe even had financial issues in the past and have gotten past those things. What was the method? How did you conquer that? People who have gone through different addictions and, are, and maybe are still struggling with some habits, but they're getting on the other side of it. Hey, I need to know. I need to know what you did. I need to know how you conquered that. I need to know how you fought that battle. We spend time with veterans. We spend time with people who have already gone through or are currently going through whatever it is that we see on the horizon before the battle ever gets here, I spend some time with some veterans to find out how I need to fight. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And at first glance, that might sound like the most arrogant thing in the world. It might, it might come across as Paul going, you know what? I've got it all together, so you should follow me. And that's not what Paul is saying at all. Look at, look at his wording. He hasn't stopped following Christ. It's not that he's gotten there already. He's still trying. He's still struggling. I'm trying to follow Christ. I'm further down the road than you are. So follow me. We're both going in the same direction. There's some of us who, who can help other people with, with parenting, with getting along with parents, with with job situations, with addictions, with habits, with marriages, with friendships, with relationships, because we've gone through some of those things, and we need to be helping those behind us, but I also need to be seeking the help of other people. I don't need to be arrogant enough to think that I've got it all figured out, and I don't need to be foolish enough to think I've got to figure it out all on my own. Spend time with some veterans. Let's get through this together. Let's get ready for this battle together. I hope this is making sense this morning. I, I want us to recognize how to get ready for the fight because the fight for some of us is already here. The fight is coming. And I want us to have confidence in our ability to, to win, to win the battle before we ever even had to fight it. I mean, to be honest, we've shared together as a church family over the last at least a couple of months, the battles that, that we're engaged in. I mean, we talked for several weeks about real struggles, about, you know, emotional struggles, struggles with depression and anxiety and, and loneliness, relationship issues, and how those are real struggles and they're, and they're, and they're hurtful and they're damaging. And it's a, it's a battle, it's a fight to get through some of those things. We talked most recently about just times in our lives when things happened, we didn't see it coming. And maybe it was a financial issue. And maybe it was a, maybe it was a relationship issue. And maybe it was some kind of a sin, some kind of a temptation that got us and we just weren't ready for it. Maybe it was just hardships and problems we weren't ready for. And it's stuff that Satan uses. And he uses such a powerful way. And we talked together and shared together about how this is a struggle, especially when I don't see it coming. And folks, I recognize, I want us all to recognize and and. and 
encourage, be encouraged and encourage each other with the fact that we, are, we all have battles that we're fighting. And maybe in the moment, your fight seems worse than mine or mine seems worse than yours, but we're all fighting because we have this ruthless enemy. And he's doing a lot of damage to our homes, to our churches, to our communities, to us. And I just want us to fight and to be confident as we battle. To recognize I can be ready for this fight. I can fight this fight before it ever actually gets here. And maybe one of the things, I'm, I'm wrapping up in just a second, maybe the, one of the things that would help us most is one other thing that we see in David's life. When we talked about how we need to train, how I need to train my body and my mind and my heart. We talked about getting, getting armored up. We've, we, we talked about spending time with veterans, but there's one other thing that we need to do to fight this battle before it happens, and that is to remember and to know where it is that I'm fighting from. To know where it is that I'm fighting from. Now, last week we talked about knowing what we're fighting for. What is important enough for us to battle for? What is important enough for me to fight for? But this morning I want us to, to kind of switch that a little bit. Where is it that I'm fighting from? If I want to fight the fight, this battle before it happens, I need to remember where it is that I'm fighting from. Let me explain that. When David goes to fight Goliath, he goes running out into the valley, he's running towards Goliath, and Goliath kind of taunts him and, and tries to talk some smack to him, and, and he keeps running towards him, and he says in verse 45, you come with me, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And if you keep reading the verses after that, he tells Goliath, you know what, I've already won. I've already won this battle. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run across here and I'm gonna throw this rock at you, but, but it's already done. I've already won the fight. Not me, my God has already won this fight. David was fighting from a position of victory. He had already won the fight, so it wasn't a problem for him to go into the fight. Does that make sense? I hope it does because folks, if, if you are a child of God, you are fighting Satan from a position of victory. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have allowed him to wash away your sins with his blood, if you are trying on a daily basis to live the kind of life that God calls you to live, even when you do make mistakes, you are still fighting for a position of victory. Our God has already defeated Satan. He beat him at the cross. He beat him at the empty tomb. And he'll defeat him in your life. He's already done it. All you got to do is fight. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I can't lose. I can't lose because my God has already won. What an amazing position to be in. That makes it so much easier for me to train and to armor up and to spend time with veterans and to fight to not allow Satan to conquer me. Why? Because he's already been conquered. He's already been defeated. That's where I'm fighting from. In, in my years of, of raising my boys, I've coached them in different sports, in baseball and football and basketball, and you've had kids in sports as well. It's an amazing phenomenon sometimes that happens when, 
when you know, the team that I'm coaching gets forfeited to by the other team. Either they didn't have enough players show up or, or I don't know, some kind of issue happened and, and they just say, okay, well, we forfeit, we give up. And, and so my team wins. And that's awesome. And if you've ever seen this before, if you've ever been on the side of the team that got forfeited to, like you've won, a lot of times, especially younger kids, they're like, well, let's, I mean, we got equipment, we got uniforms, let's just play. Let's go ahead and play the game. We're here. Let's just go ahead and play the game. Even though it's already been decided, let's go ahead and play. And most of the time, those kids who have already won, who already won because of forfeit, they play with more passion, with, they're more relaxed, they have more fun. It just, it's, it's this transformation that takes place because there's no, they don't feel any pressure. They're not worried. They're not feeling guilty about when they mess up. They're just, they're just playing because the game's already won. Folks, that's us. Our God has already won the victory. And I'm not saying that Satan forfeited because he didn't. Satan battled hard. Satan is still battling hard. But the victory's already been won. We win. So let's go fight with confidence, with enthusiasm, with joy, knowing that we have a God who's already given us the victory. It completely changes our focus and our attitude as we fight. So let's go fight. As we wrap up this morning, I'm going to lead a prayer here in just a second. And we're going to sing a song after that. Talking about, praying about, needing God in our lives. And we're not going to have a time where, where we come forward. We're still, you know, trying to be safe with our COVID restrictions. But, but as we sing that song together, as I, as I lead us in prayer in just a moment, I, just, I, I want to recognize that there's, that there's probably people in this room who feel completely defeated right now. Whatever the battle was, whatever the fight was, whatever it was that Satan attacked you with, he won, or at least it feels that way. And I want you to know that if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that so that you can conquer the one who's trying to conquer you. And we can help make that happen. And you visit with us as soon as worship is done and we'll, we'll, help, that, we'll help that process take place. But if there's a time in your life where you, you gave your heart to Jesus, you were fighting, and for whatever reason, distraction, laziness, other passions, whatever it was you know, that, that caused you to drop that faith, to walk away from it, to give up and surrender it, as we talked about last week, I want to encourage you to talk to one of us. Come find me. Come find one of our shepherds. Talk to the person sitting on the other end of the road from you right now. Email us. Text us. Put something in the comments. Let us know. I, I want to fight again. I recognize that the victory's already been won, and I want to participate. I, I, I want to claim that victory in my life, and we'll help with that too. Don't walk away from this morning still being defeated. Fight the fight that you're in right now. Fight the fight that's coming before it ever gets here. But fight knowing that you already have victory. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us victory through Jesus. Thank you for providing hope and grace and mercy and compassion through the blood of your son. Thank you, God, for loving us that much. We don't deserve it. We can't possibly earn it. We are so thankful for it. God, I know there's people 
listening to my voice right now who are battling addictions, who are battling issues in their family, who are battling depression, who are battling guilt, who are battling a combination of those things. God, give them the strength to keep fighting. Almighty God, go fight for them. Let them know that, that you have already won the victory. Pick them up and keep them going. And allow us as a church family to come alongside and fight with them. God, help us to surrender to you, to recognize how much we need you to fight for us. But then give us the courage, God, to go ahead and fight. Because you've already won. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In need of grace. In need of love, in need of mercy raining down from high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of things that only you can give to me, in need of What a great morning to be at Flagstone. Marshall, thank you for those words. I want to uh, uh, 
reinforce what Marshall said that if you need uh, to talk to someone, uh, Marshall will be in the lobby and I will be in the lobby and we are there to, to help in any way possible. So please reach out uh, to one of us. Also, uh, this, I want to offer this time to uh, let you know how we can give. Uh, if you're here this morning, uh, there is a basket in the lobby if you'd like to give that way. Also, there's signs up here uh, to uh, give also that way in that. Um, I want to give you a couple of prayer requests. Uh, the, the Flagstone Church of Christ sees what's going on in the world. And I think it's our responsibility to pray to God for help, to help this country, help this world uh, during difficult times. And so please, this week, uh, let's uh, pray for peace. Let's pray for um, better improvements in many different aspects of life and let God uh, let's present that to God. He's asked us, you have a problem, give it to me. And this week, let's just pray to God that uh, uh, better things are ahead of us. With that in mind, um, I ask that you bear with me a second. I have a statement that I'd like to read from the leadership here at Flagstone. It's kind of lengthy, so please bear with me. We cannot say enough how impressed we have been and how grateful we are for the way our church family have handled all the changes in how we do ministry because of the pandemic we have endured for the last year. Your attitude and support have been great source of encouragement to our leadership. We have enjoyed getting to see Flagstone continue its mission to reach out, connect, and serve in spite of some difficulties, difficult challenges. Since the pandemic began, we at the church leadership have prayfully considered information available to us and have made decisions about meetings, masks, social distancing, and other precautions with the goal of trying to keep our church family members safe as well as our guests. While these protocols have not always been comfortable or convenient, as our church family have complied with the safety practices we have put in place over the last year for which we are very thankful. During our church meeting at the beginning of March, we outlined a three-phase plan to start lifting some of the restrictions for the meeting times and, the start, and to start returning to our previous methods of meetings, worshiping, serving, and fellowship. The plans are, or, or were, number one, to begin allowing the teens to meet in Bible study on Sunday mornings in one of our new classrooms. This started in March. 
Number two, to begin conducting children's worship during the 1030 service starting the first Sunday in June. And number three, to return to one service and full class starting in August when the new school year begins. We also stated that these dates were fluid and that we would adjust this plan according to the rise or fall of COVID cases and the effectiveness of COVID vaccines with also the governor's recommendation for our state. We have witnessed COVID numbers significantly declining in the recent weeks, and we believe that by the end of this month, most people who will want to get vaccinated with the COVID vaccine will have that, will have had the opportunity to do so. Because of this, our leadership has chosen to change our mass requirements for Sunday worship in the near future. Beginning May 2nd, two weeks from today, we will, we will require masks to be worn only for the nine o'clock service. Those who, could, who are concerned about being around unmasked people at the church may choose to attend the nine o'clock service or continue worshiping with us online. Those who attend in-person worship at 1030 need to understand that that service will be mass optional. You, you are still welcome to wear a mask for that service, but you will, not, will no longer be required to do so. We believe this will provide more opportunity for those who want to worship with us in person, and it will move us more quickly toward the time when we can hopefully return to using our building and serving our community at full capacity without COVID restrictions. We appreciate your patience and your positive support. If you have any questions about this particular process or any of our future plans, please contact one of our shepherds and we will be glad to discuss this, those things with you. With love and with prayer, we often do. Thank you. If you would, let's, uh, let's stand and we'll have a closing prayer and one more song. Dear Father, we just come to you now. Just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, whether it be online or be here in person, the opportunity to hear Marshall's lesson. Help us to take his lesson and to apply it to our lives. Help us to grow and help us to help others grow. Help us to always grow closer to you and your way. And understand and help us really, really to understand that you have already won the race for us. Dear Father, we will see difficult times in our own lives in our community, in our church life, in the world. And we ask that you help us to, to pray, give you those, those problems over to you. Help us to 
pray to you about those things. Help us to, to uh, work on believing that you are in control. Helping us to help others in that. Dear Father, just thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. Help, help us to, to have a great week and be a positive influence to one person this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I really appreciate the leadership and the decisions that they make. I cannot wait to hear all of you singing when you take your mask off. Uh, I love to hear you singing. Um, and it makes my mess ups not so obvious. So I can't wait for that to happen. And I gave a shout out to Marshall this morning, and I, I want to do it again. You know, Marshall, you know, prepares the lessons uh, each Sunday, but he also does the, uh, the midweek classes um, online. Uh, he picks songs for the service. He um, sings tenor. Sometimes he leads. And today he's been singing bass. And I'm, that's, a, that's a man of many, many talents. And so th this morning I had everybody give him a round of applause. And, but I did it early in the service, and I think it put pressure on him. But anyway, let's give Marshall a big round of applause. We are truly blessed. We are certainly blessed to have him here with us. All right, we've got one more song. Lord, the light of your love is shining in the midst of the darkness shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be From the shadows into your radiance By the blood I may enter your brightness Submerge me, try me, consume all my darkness Shine on me Shine on me Come on! Shine, Jesus, shine Fill this land with the Father's glory blaze, Spirit blaze, set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow, flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. Shine Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send 
Lord, and let there be light. Have a blessed week, everybody.